Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. kids gone? If, if they're not, get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. Y'all are dismissed. Have fun. Y'all are teaching yourselves today, okay? There's no volunteers back there, so, so be good. You know the rules. If there's a problem, we'll be done in just a little bit, so just hold on to it or come and tell Zeb. Just gonna return an email real quick. Hang on. <laughs> All right, there we go. Um, yeah, good morning. Um, a bunch of our—you uh, might have noticed—you looked around. A whole bunch of our folks are gone. Pastor Glenn mentioned it. They're uh, at the sand. Actually, we have a picture of them uh, from yesterday. Uh, there's there's a lot of them there in the crowd of sixty-ish thousand. Uh, that's that's almost all of them from our our group that went and. Uh, a, uh, had some good reports. So there was a few really cool text messages that came through. And if you're able to watch it last or at the live stream, it was like 12 hours long yesterday, the whole thing. Um, I'll tell you what, they watched it in 80 something degree heat in the sunshine for 12 hours. And I watched it in 70 degree shade in my house in the AC. So I don't know if that makes me a worse Christian or a better Christian, but it made me not a sunburned Christian yesterday. So <laughs> A smart one, I don't know, a cheap one, I don't know. Uh, I'll take any of those descriptors. But anyways, blessed, yeah, that's right. You know, Pastor Glenn says the three most influential people in his life are Jesus, Mike Bickle, and the person who created air conditioning, all right? So, I mean, you've been influenced. It's good to see everybody uh, this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have your Bibles, that's like forgetting your pants when you go to work, right? Man, in construction, people would show up and they'd be like, oh man, I forgot my tape measure. You're like, you forgot your tape measure? Why don't you just go home? There's really not much you can do here today without that. So that's like your everyday. Anyways, I'm not trying to shame you if you didn't bring your Bible. I'm not trying to shame you that much. It's all good. Um, so today we're actually going to... Um, I was, I, was, I was reading Hebrews 13, and, or I was reading Hebrews and Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 is funny. Um, you know, you read Hebrews chapter 1 through 12, and it's a whole lot of what. Like, there's a whole lot of information in there, and it's good. Uh, th- but it covers a, a whole wide range of topics, right? And we don't, I know we don't really know, or maybe some of y'all don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. I happen to know. It's special revelation, but... Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's a stupid, prideful comment. We don't know who they are, who the writer, he or she, uh, was. So that's not important. What's important is that um, when we get through chapter 12 and into chapter 13, chapter 13 almost acts like this appendix that's like slapped on the end of Hebrews. You have a whole bunch of what chapters 1 through 12 that talk about. It talks about Jesus Christ as being the the fit, full physical manifestation of the Father. Basically, so when Jesus stood before his, uh, Philip, and Philip's like, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, well, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, Hebrews goes on and, and, and 
reiterates that and says Jesus was the full physical representation of the Father, meaning if you've seen him, you have seen the Father. Everything that was found in the Father is also found in Jesus. And then it goes on, it talks about all kinds of stuff. It talks about angels, talks about, and we have like the, the faith chapter, and he, Hebrews 11 is just like by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, and we read about all these heroes of the faith, no pun intended, uh, read about all these heroes, and then it wraps up with, yeah, and, and they all actually died before they saw the fulfillment of the huge promises that were given to them. And you're like, <gasps> and then you read Hebrews 12, and it's great. We talk the royal priesthood, all this identity stuff. And then you get to 13, and it stops all the information and just comes with instruction. It's like, by the way, here's chapter 13, and boom, 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 here's all these things. And so he, uh, there's a lot of verses in Hebrews chapter 13 that get used out of, out of context not necessarily in a wrong way, but often. Like, you'll, you'll recognize some of these verses and be like, oh, that's where that's at. And, uh, and so stand, they stand alone really well. They do, uh, you know, because they're truth, so they can stand alone. But what's cool is when you keep them in the flow that they're in, it's actually pretty powerful. And what I think the reason they get kind of yanked out and used individually a lot is because there's a lot of disagreement on Hebrews chapter 13 about if there indeed is a flow of chapter 3. People are like, it's just a big barrage of like, the writer was like, oh yeah, I only have a little bit of paper left and so I just need to put all this stuff in no particular order and that's just not, I mean, God's too good for that. He's much better than that. Um, And so when we study it out, and we're going to go through six verses today, we're actually going to go verse by verse, something I like to do, we don't do too often um, just like that, but... um, what we're going to see is that this is, a, this is a chunk of information that is specifically to what I, my argument that I'm going to make today, specifically to, a lo- to local churches, right? So bodies of believers that know each other. That's, that's what we're going to, that's the distinction I'm going to make is that he's actually, she, she or he is actually, right, I don't even want to talk about pronouns right now, um, and uh, is, actually, is actually writing to a group of people that know each other. So in our context today, that's a local church, right? So you don't know everybody that goes to, you know, to Acts Church down the way. You don't know everybody that goes to the Lakeway Church, but you pretty much know most people here. And hopefully after today, you'll be motivated to get to know more people, as we're going to talk. But, uh, but I believe that it is a, um, a specific exhortation to a local church about how to relate to each other, okay? So a local church would have read all this information all this teaching, all this theology, all this really good stuff. And then they're like, by the way, here's how you love each other. And then it's, a, it's, a, it's very important, but it's also really cool how the verses flow together and connect together. And I had kind of outlined like 19 verses or something, and I was like, well, this is going to take like seven hours to preach. So we just like reduced it to six. You're welcome. Um, you can thank me later. So anyways, that's, that's sort of the, the tee up here. And uh, one of the verses, it won't be on the screen, but just that I wanted to mention, Galatians 6.10, we've talked about it before, but sometime, sometimes when we talk about loving each other in the body of Christ, there's this little thing that can rise up in you that would be like, what about loving people that are lost? Or what about loving, you know, people that are in our community? What about, and that's good too. Okay, I'm not, I don't. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we talk about one thing. But what I do want to say, Galatians 6.10 actually, actually talks about giving preferential treatment to the household of faith. It actually talks about preferring your brothers and sisters first, taking care of the household of faith first. Like, 
uh, for instance, I've been in, not in this church, but I've been in other church contexts where there's been, there's been such a, there's been such a push for, for, um, minute, like evangelism out. We're going to go out and we're going to reach the lost. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to reach the lost. When actually that's not bad, but it was at the expense of taking care of what's, of what's right here, of the people that are right here. And actually this, this right here, the body was actually suffering because there was so much preference to, to our size. It was imbalanced. Okay, you guys see that. So Galatians 6.10 is this great reminder to us that we, that we have to be healthy here before we can go out or so we can go out. It's the same principle inside the home. You want your kids healthy? Better get your marriage healthy. You want your marriage healthy? You better get yourself healthy, right? You see, it has to start, it has to start somewhere. So, okay, here we go. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, let's start in verse 1. I'm just going to read it uh, one verse at a time, okay? Uh, it says, keep on loving. Actually, I'm just going to turn there in my Bible. I told you all to do it, and then I didn't do it. Sorry. All right. Keep on loving each other as brothers. This is really cool. So we have been linked together. Those that have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been linked together by that. We are all believing in the same Jesus. We are all saved by the same grace through faith in Jesus. And that, that's one of the things that links us together. Um, it's something that we not only have in common, right, where we look around and we're like, yeah, we have that in common, that's great. Uh, but it's also, I believe, something that should warrant or um, something that deserves the loving actions and feelings being exchanged towards one another because of that bond, that make sense? No? Okay. Um, more often than not, especially in today's world, we are very aware of reasons why we shouldn't love each other or can't love each other or can't get, or are like, yeah, I totally love them. I just don't ever want to see them, talk to them, or think about them. <laughs> Whew. Which I know. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. I told Kaylee yesterday, my kids are like, kids are like, Dad, if, I forgot how the, the, the conversation even brought up, but they're like, we're, there's something about a honeymoon or whatever, and, and they're, they're like, if you were going to do another honeymoon, you know, where would you go? And I said, somewhere with no people. <laughs> that, and then Kaylee's like, but then we would have to cook for ourselves. And, and I said, somewhere with one servant. <laughs> that was my answer. So, um, but, but we, we, have, we have every reason and example to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have every example in Jesus Christ. I mean, he loved you when you hated him. He actually loved you when you spit on him. He loved you when you rejected him. He loved you before you had the capability to even think about and consider loving him. And so, and then, and then we are given that as this perfect example, and so we actually are really teed up really well to love each other, but there's a lot of division for a lot of different reasons, and it's really easy for us to grab a hold of reasons why either shouldn't, can't, or don't want to love someone. Love is an action. There's really not this ooey-gooey feeling all the time, okay? If I love somebody, I, so I tell my kids all the time, you know, when they're like, eh, I love you, or whatever. And I'm like, well, you can say it, but why don't you show me? Why don't you demonstrate that um, by obeying me is usually how that sentence ends. <laughs> so 
Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So I just tell my kids, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. No. I tell Kaylee, if you love me, you convince you. No, I don't say that. Um, yeah, keep on loving each other's brothers. As we go through the next five verses, you're going to see that, in my opinion, I believe that the writer of Hebrews takes this first exhortation of keep on loving each other and actually just starts blowing it up even more. So everything that we're going to talk about is in this same context of brothers and sisters in the local body right here, okay? So follow me there. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. How many of you have heard this verse before, right? You didn't, maybe you didn't know it was right here, but it is. And Often, it's talked about where we say, like, hey, we should entertain strangers because you never know. You might be entertaining an angel, right? So what do you think about when you think about entertaining a stranger? You're thinking about somebody you don't know, right? Is that right? You think it's a stranger, right? You're like, oh, this is somebody I don't know. And then you're like, well, I better entertain them because they might be an angel, right? We don't, like, we're not exhorted here to randomly bring strangers into our home for the off chance that we might encounter angelic activity. That is... <laughs> And I have met people that are like, I let everybody into my car and into my house because you never know, they might be an angel. I'm like, they also might be a serial killer. Are you using wisdom? Are we using, like, you know, I'm, because the motivation was, the motivation in that particular thing was, I so need to see an angel. And I was like, oh, we've totally missed actually what that verse was about. <laughs> um, but I hope you see one. So, uh, but we're told, we're told to keep on loving each other and in that context, it's people you're familiar with. And so what does he, what the writer do here? The writer takes it one step, for, one step further. <laughs> it happens every week with us, right? Every week. Um, so, but he takes it one step further, and he says, don't forget also to entertain strangers. And what he means here when you study this out, which I studied it so you didn't have to, but you should study it too, uh, is that, is that He's saying, actually, people of the household of faith that you don't know yet, of the household of faith that you're unfamiliar with. So in this context, even in our local church, I know that some of y'all don't know each other because everybody comes to me and goes, who's that? Have you met them? Who do you do? And I, some of y'all I don't know. And so I'm like, I don't know. Go, go introduce yourself. And, but in this context, entertaining strangers would be like, hey, some, there's some new people at the church. I'm going to have them over for lunch. I'm going to have them over for dinner. We're going to go out to coffee. We're going to entertain them. And, and the writer here, probably familiar with angelic activity based on chapters 1 through 12 of Hebrews, um, but just adds in that little bonus like, hey, you never know. One of them might be an angel. And it's, it's not a motivator. It's just like a bonus, okay, the way that it's written, okay? So we don't bring people in so that if we bring enough people in, eventually one of them will be an angel. It's like, I've entertained 100 strangers. It's got to be one out of 100 is an, an angel, right? There's, it's not those type of odds. Uh, but it is, it, is a, it is a, hey, you know, it could happen. So um, when Christians used to travel, you got, you, we got to listen to this, how it was written in its, or how it would have been heard by the original hearers. When Christians used to travel, missionaries used to travel, even the Apostle Paul um, when he would travel from town to town, they relied on staying in other believers' homes, okay? So it was for a couple of reasons. One, uh, they were po most of the time. Uh, 
and Paul tried to change that in the church and, uh, by, by basically, uh, you know, they weren't supposed to be poor, but some people weren't giving. So they would wait, and he would build tents while they waited for offerings, or when he got accused of preaching the gospel for money and things like that, he would set it aside to live above reproach, and he would build tents for a while, and as soon as the money came, he would wrap that up and start preaching again uh, because that's what he was called to do. But they would rely on, on host homes, and these host homes didn't, didn't know who they were bringing in. And it wasn't like they emailed them ahead of time. You know, it, They came into town and were like, hey, we're here to preach the gospel. We need a place to stay. And so they'd find people that had room, and you'd stay there. And one was because of the money, but two is because that many times in many different towns, especially ones that were influenced negatively, the inn was associated with prostitution and things like that. It was associated with like, hey, that's where you stay when you're just passing through, right? We rent by the hour type of a deal. So um, it, it was good and necessary for, for Christians to open their homes to strangers. They were believers, right? But they were, but they were not previously known to them, and, so, and they, they were hospitable, and it was actually necessary for the gospel to go forward for people to do this. If they would have said, ah, no, we don't know you, you can't stay here, it would have been very difficult for the gospel to be spread from town to town and for the New Testament to read like we read it today. That happened because of people being hospitable. I believe that we've missed out on many of the good things that come from that because many of us live a hyper-private lifestyle. Um, and in my opinion, that's anti-biblical. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it's sin from the platform, but, uh, but, but, it's, but, but a, a hyper-private lifestyle is anti-New Testament church. A hyper-private lifestyle doesn't make room for hospitality. A hyper-private lifestyle doesn't make room for, uh, for fellowship. Okay? Not, everybody's called, not everybody has a gift of hospitality. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but the, the heart posture of hospitality is what I'm talking about. And hyper-privacy doesn't provide for that. Write that down. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Carrying on with that same original verse, okay? Same original verse, keep on loving each other as brothers. And he makes this provision. He goes, hey, don't, don't forget about the people you don't know that are also your brothers. And then it goes into verse 3. He says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. How many of you remember, heard this verse before? Remember those in chains. Remember those in prison. Four of you read your Bible. It's really good. Um, <laughs> call Barna. Tell him to write another book. Um, so remember a few years ago, Kyle preached, Pastor Kyle preached a message, uh, remember those in chains. Do you remember that? Where people would actually... It was pretty amazing. He preached the message, and during his message, had people sign up for one-hour slots for, the, for like the following 24 hours, starting that afternoon, and would fill them all, which was incredible. And right over here, like where Joseph is sitting, that he, he set up a chair. We, it was summertime, shut all the AC off in the whole building for 24 hours, all the lights off, no nothing, and he put handcuffs there, and you chained yourself to that chair and prayed for the persecuted church. It was powerful. It was a powerful time. And, and, you know, all through the night it went. People had shifts all through the night. What was amazing is that it got, you know, all the slots were, were filled like this, having no knowledge of it the day before. He just said it during his sermon. It was a really powerful time. He had some resources out of different, um, you know, people who were in prison and, pl and places where the church is persecuted, and he prayed for them. 
um, while you just sit there and kind of suffer. It was hot, sweaty, muggy, disgusting, and dark. Um, but it was cool. But so when we look at this, that's, that's good and that's true. Like we remembered those in prison, but this was written to a local body telling you, remember those from your local body who are in prison, okay? Why was that important? Well, because in that culture, it wasn't like prison today is like a holiday in 2,000 years ago, okay? They weren't provided meals. They weren't provided like soap. They weren't provided, uh, you couldn't like write letters and send those. You didn't know how your family was doing unless somebody came and told you how your family was doing. So it, they actually relied on people bringing them things in prison so that they would not only be encouraged by having contact with the outside world, but also things like food and things. That some prisons, depending on where they were, would provide some things, and some provided none. And so you would, the, the encouragement here to the local church is basically like, hey, those of your body who are in prison, don't forget them, and actually treat them as if, like from a place of compassion, as if you yourself were in there with them. Okay, um, it was really dangerous, especially if a person was in prison because of their faith. Okay, so if they're being persecuted because of their faith, it would have been really dangerous for somebody to head down to the prison and give them physical support. Why? Because then everybody knows that you support them. Well, what's to keep them from throwing you in prison for the exact same reason? Right? It was a ri- which happened. It was a risk. To actually take, you know, bake some bread and go down and be like, hey, here, we're just supporting you. Because all it would take is for them to go, oh, you're with him? Cha-ching! We got another one. That's all it would take. And so it took courage, and it actually, it actually took radical compassion to move past the fear into courage. It took radical compassion. Everything that Jesus, when Jesus moved to heal people, we know he healed from a place of compassion, right? Not out of obligation. And it's the same thing. He's, the, the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging and exhorting the local church, saying, remember those in prison as if you yourself were suffering. It's just a way to say that we continue loving each other by demonstrating deep compassion for each other. Verse 4 Carrying on with the same original verse. Keep on loving each other as brothers. And then uh, the writer goes on and says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So this, um, <laughs> this was written during a time when they're experiencing the same things that we deal with uh, today, which is sexual impurity in the church. Of course, outside of the church. But, but that's not who he's writing to. He's writing to the church. She is writing to the church. Um, so this entire verse, this entire sentence is about sex, all of it. And what, there's three parts of it that, he, that the writer breaks down here. You know how hard it is to say the writer every time instead of just like Barnabas or Apollos or Priscilla, one of them? I'm just going to pick one and start saying the name, and I'll be wrong later. But um, there's three parts to this sentence and uh, that really addressed three different ways of thinking or three different ways of approaching this. And I think it's why uh, it's said in this context. I'm going to hammer it out here in just a second. But um, the first part, marriage should be honored by all. Study that part, that little phrase out, um, meaning first off that we have to understand that sex was designed for marriage. 
okay? Uh, meaning, meaning everyone, the writer's going, everyone needs to agree. Remember, he's talking to the church. Everyone needs to agree that sex is for marriage and not for outside of it. Okay, so he's talked, so, the, but the culture wasn't teaching that then. You think, it, I mean, I want to go back there and be like, you should see what it's like 2,000 years from now. Just, it doesn't get better. <laughs> like, like they'll be like, what? It's horrible now. And then, you know, be like, nah, just, <laughs> it's good. Um, but purity was a novel idea even then in the church. He's talking to the church. It was, it was just this like, eh, kind of, I mean, we see this happen in the Old Testament. Okay, this is Hebrews. This is New Testament. This is Jesus has, has lived, died, been, rose from the dead. Pentecost has happened. This is after that. But you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, which was like thousands of years before that? It was messed up then. Okay, so this is not a new thing. Uh, but it creeped into the church, and there were many that thought that they could have premarital or extramarital sex and that it was okay. Okay, they thought, oh, well, let's we'll go hang, na- hang out at the inn, right? You can laugh, it's funny. Um, but what would happen is that that would, every time that someone thought that, or every time that someone taught that, or every time that somebody uh, gave in and sinned in that way, it would dishonor marriage. It would dishonor what the Lord had designed marriage to be. And so the writer says, Marriage should be honored by all. And then goes on, the, the second part of that sentence is, and the marriage bed be kept pure, which literally, literally means sex in marriage is good, right? Right? Everybody's like, heard that. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay, just water. Um, but believe it or not, there were groups back then that were actually pointing to the church and pointing to married couples in the church and saying, you're not supposed to be having sex. It's, imp- it's an impure way to, to use your body. Celibacy is the only way. They were saying, Cel- if you're not celibate, you're not going to heaven. Those, that type of teaching. I mean, that's still, I mean, that's like a little bit in existence today. Pretty fringe groups. But, uh, but it was, that was actually, that was, it was necessary for the writer to say, Premarital and extramarital sex is bad, but marital sex is good. Like he had to say both things to make the to make the distinction so that everybody could have their questions answered. It's pretty amazing. The third part, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. It really wraps up the thought. Um, the writer means that basically he's going, hey, sexual sinners or people that are involved in sexual sin will probably probably go their way. Okay, um, and they probably won't listen to rebuke. And why? Well, because sex is a powerful motivator. It really is. We see that throughout Scripture, even taught about. Um, and while we we do even today, we see many people repent from sexual sin and sexual impurity. We see a lot that don't. I've seen a lot of people in the church when faced with, "Hey, you know, you got to stop having premarital sex." They're like, "Well." I like it too much. And like, yeah, but the Lord says it's wrong and you got to repent. I can't. Well, then we can't extend you fellowship until you repent. And they're like, all right. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'm like, what? Why is it, why is it that? I mean, do you, you guys see what that is? It's like Jesus died, saved me, gave me a way to live that's so much better. His ways are higher than mine. 
And then I have this little thing that I just really love participating in. And like, yeah, I'm just going to take this. It's good. Like, and just kind of shrug off Jesus. Sex is a very powerful motivator. And so when the writer writes the last part of this sentence, while we do see many repent, we see many more that don't, he's saying God will be their judge. Sum that up. Sex is for marriage. It's good, pure, and right in marriage. And God will judge those who disagree. Then he goes on in verse 5. Verse 5 is linked to verse 4. I can I hopefully have a little bit, a few minutes to explain why, but I won't go too, too far in depth. But verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So there's at least three other places in the New Testament where sexual sin and the sin of covet covetousness, coveting, uh, <laughs> covetousness, uh, are linked, okay? So 1 Corinthians uh, 5, uh, verse 10 through 11, Ephesians 4, and 1 Thessalonians 4, they all link those sins. Um, and I think it's important to note that, I, I, well, I believe that's what the writer's doing here also, that it's a continuous thought uh, from, from verse 4. So the writer warns, he doesn't just warn about coveting and, and loving money, which we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, the God of mammon, um, but he actually follows it up with the fact that it's pointless, right, and, and empty. It's an empty pursuit because we have, um, as believers, we have all of the promises that the, that the Lord has given us, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. Like, it's a sure thing. He's a sure thing. And he's going, if we have that, why would we ever try to get something extra or something on top of that? We don't need to pursue our own selfish gain, um, either sexual or financial, uh, because God has our best interests in mind, and he's promised to be with us through it all. Um, and so he's, he's, he's continuing to extrapolate just further and further and further. He says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Now, don't forget to love those brothers that you don't know yet, okay? So, like, be hospitable. You might get an angel out of it, right? And then he, and then he moves on, and he goes, and he goes hey, uh, also remember those among you that are in prison. Like, they need love, too. And that one's going to be really hard for you because that takes a deep level of compassion. But just pretend that you're in prison with them. Like, think of, think of it as if you were in prison with them and then treat them how you would want to be treated, and he goes, and by the way, sex outside of marriage is not going to help this pursuit. It's not going it, to, you're not actually showing love to people by doing that. But I'll tell you one of the ways that you can show love, and that's by having sex in marriage. And that's really good. He goes, and, and, and don't worry about those that continue to, to just walk away in their sin. Like God will take care of them. He goes, and by the way, speaking of, uh, of things that will carry you away, don't get caught up in the love of money. And don't start, don't start coveting what other people have. Like This is going to distract you from being able to love God and to love each other well. You guys see the continuous thought here now where the writer's going, he's, he, he says something and he goes, oh yeah, and it's like it sparks another level. And then he says that and he goes, oh yeah, and then it sparks another level. And he just keeps going and opening it up more and more. You see how this is related now? Yes, Nate, we see that. It's an amazing revelation that you've given us. Um, and uh, so then we make it all the way down to verse 6, okay? So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Quotes Psalm 118, verses 6 through 7. So we can love each other the way that the first five verses talk about. 
with confidence and hope. Like everything, all these verses stand alone, okay? They're all true by themselves. But when you put them all together in verses 1 through 6, it's an exhortation that, well, actually, I'm going to read something I wrote here. I'm just going to read this. I believe this is a summary. As a local church, and again, I know this applies to every believer everywhere, okay? But again, I believe this was written to a local church. As a local church, we get to love each other like family, host each other in our homes like family, care for each other in our troubles like family, honor the commands and precepts of God together as a family, embrace purity together as a family, celebrate our victories together like a family, call each other higher as family, and lean into the promises of God's provision and nearness together like family. He's given us everything we need to relate to each other in a healthy, sustainable, and powerful way. I think that, um, worship team, you guys can start making your way back up, but stay engaged. I got a few more things here. Um, There's been, I've probably in the last, I don't know, three years, I've probably preached three or four messages specifically about how we relate to each other in the body of Christ and how how we love each other and how we're called to be the family of God. And you might think, I don't know, no one said this to me, but you might think, like, we get it, when is he going to stop talking about it, like, you know, (laughs) that type of thing. I don't know, maybe you don't think that. But sometimes I think that, like, why do I keep talking about this? But I think the reason is because we're, we're not there yet. And we're... Like, I'm so thankful for River in the Hills Church, and, and this is a church unlike any church I've ever been in, or been to, and uh, in so many good ways. And part of what, may, there's so many things that contribute to that, to it being different and to it being so good, but one of the things, and we've heard it time and time again, and it's actually, it actually fulfills sort of a prophetic word even, uh, I don't have time to go into that, when people come in, one of the things that they often say, and many of you have said it, is they'll say, River and the Hills just feels like home. It just feels like family. Okay. We don't put all of our potatoes in the feeling bag, but they're a good indicator of what's going on. I felt that the first time we visited here. I sat right over there. We were just, we were just visiting, and I was just like, ah. Like, I was, you know, I was church playing at the time, so I was like half dead anyways. And, uh, and, so, and so just to be able to go to church and not have to do anything was like, I don't even care if they preach heresy. This is just fun. <laughs> and, uh, but it was great. But, but the bond of love that's, that the Lord designed believers to share with each other is very special. I've heard many of you say that the bond that you share with your brothers and sisters in the church is stronger than the bond that you share with your blood relatives. That's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. I think it's appropriate. I believe that that the Lord is calling us as a church to embrace this even more. And so what does that look like practically? One, it's almost exactly what verse 1 of Hebrews 13 says. Keep on right? Many of you do this very well, okay? I think of Marissa Vasquez. She's not here today. 
and we'll give her her absence slip and, you know, rebuke her. But, but she loves people in the body of Christ very well. She goes out of her way. Many of you, she has, she's chased people out to the parking lot because she's up here on the stage and she wants to meet new people. And so she'll just take her in-ears out and put her mic down and run outside during the last song. I've seen her do it many times. She'll chase people to the parking lot and say, hey, you can't just keep leaving. I want to meet you. And then she, I want to bring you food. I want to play with your kids. I want to, you know, and people are like, why are you treating me like this? She's like, because you're part of the body, part of the family. She does it very well. Some of you do this very well. For the, so for those of you that are doing it very well, keep on, okay? That's verse one. Keep on loving each other with brotherly love. For those of you that this is a newer concept to, that's a real Christian way of saying, for those of you that suck at this, no, I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not A or B, right? It's not you're good at it or you're bad at it. Some people are just like, we go through seasons and like, man, I used to be really good at this, but man, I'll tell you what, if you used to be really good at loving people in the body of Christ, then like the Lord used to bless that, right? You guys hear me? You hear me? Like we don't, we don't rely on what, we, on what we did in our past to propel us into our future, right? Like, we, like the, Lord, the Lord has things for us here and now. Okay, it's not like I used to be a really good follower of Jesus, so that'll propel me into my next 10, 20, 30 years. No, that's not how it works. But I just want to encourage y'all, man, practical ways to do this. Meet people you don't know. And I know a lot of y'all are shy, and I get it. And you're like, oh, it's easy for you to say, Nate, you just stand up there and talk in front of people. You, yeah, you're right. I do have a gift in that I don't ever get nervous to speak in front of people. It's actually gotten me in a lot of trouble. But... <laughs> But I did, and I didn't know it was a gift seriously till like 10 years ago because I would tell Kaylee, Kaylee, just get up here and talk with me. And she's like, she's like, you know, no, I'll never do that. And I'm like, wow, you're so, you, need, you have hurts. You need to get healed or whatever. And, and then somebody's like, man, you have such a gift. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think it's a gift. <laughs> and, uh, and so I get it. Like, but I'll tell you what, I'm more comfortable just like by myself most of the time. I'm, I'm fine by myself but I still love to go meet brothers and sisters. Like, I love to. You can meet people, and you don't have to be their best friend. You don't have to take them out to lunch immediately, although it's a great venue to get to know them. But I'm just saying, love is an action. So everybody coming here into the building together doesn't automatically make you, man, my sermon must be really bad if my wife walks out in the middle of it. <laughs> She's going to go get the food for Rith 101. Um, but... It coming, just coming in here and sitting in the same room, it, it makes you part of the same church, but it doesn't automatically mean that you're loving on each other. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, if love, like you can be loving towards someone, but, but this, just sitting here in this room is loving the Lord, which is first and foremost, but we really have things to give to each other also. You have gifts, talents, anointings, okay? You have blessings in your life. The Lord fills you up so that you can pour out. And there's very practical ways to do this, okay? There's ways that don't cost a lot of money. I understand that can be a hindrance sometimes where you're like, man, I want to have somebody. I want to, like, take them out, but I can't afford to go out. That's fine. You don't have to go out and eat. That's fine. I think Americans, we eat too much anyways. Go, go on a hike. They're free, right? Just go, go do something fun outside. But... But take, I, I, the reason I say all this is because I really believe that the Lord is calling River in the Hills to the next level of loving each other as brothers and sisters. Okay, this isn't a feel-good, like, yeah, that's great, Nate. Yeah, we're going to do But, like, this is, a, this is a, a reminder, like, where the Lord is going, 
I am inviting you to experience what my heart has for River Nails in every, like in every area, including how we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. And it's an invitation. He's not going to force it, but we can really step into it. And I believe that we have what it takes to step into it. Would you stand with me this morning? Here's what we're going to do. Candy and the team, they're just going to minister with some music here. And uh, there'll be prayer teams uh, up front here for as long as you need us. When, um, when the ministry time starts, I'm going to give you some instructions, but when the ministry time starts here in the front, if you could just take your conversations to the lobby, we'll just really want to honor what the Holy Spirit's doing here and just kind of keep it an atmosphere that's distraction-free for people. You can stay as long as you need to. If you need to go get your kids and bring them back in, that's fine. But right now, before the prayer teams come up, all I want you to do is go meet somebody you don't know and say hi. That's it, okay? I know, some of you are like, gosh, that's how you know that I'm talking to you. If you responded like that in your spirit just now, you're like, oh, that's me. But all you got to do, most of y'all just got to turn around. But just do it right now. Just go meet somebody and then come back to your seat. Just take a minute. Go meet somebody you don't know. Everybody. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.